0: Welcome to the Midlife with Courage podcast. I'm Kim Benoit, your host, and I'm so happy to have you here. I'm also very happy to have my guest here with me today. Her name is Jessica Peterson, and she has experienced something that none of us would ever want to go through in our lifetime. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the good and the bad and finding the joy and living your life after a horrible tragedy. Today will be part one. And Part two will come out on Thursday morning at 7 a.m. So Jessica, why don't you introduce yourself, tell us who you are and where in the world you are and what you do. Well, my name is
1: Jessica Peterson and I am many things as I think most women are. First and foremost, I'm a mom. Um, I have two young children currently and I am also a mother who has lost three daughters. I recently became an published author. When I wrote my book, Thistles and Thorns, it was published in 2022. My day job, I am a social worker and I've been a social worker for over two decades now. And I currently work for Washington County Adult Protection Investigations. And I live in River Falls, Wisconsin.
0: So if there was a scent that you could bottle up and take with you wherever you go, what would that scent be?
1: Honestly, I have thought about this a lot and there are so many wonderful smells out there, but there is nothing that beats the smell of a newborn baby. I just, I like, I have to stop myself from going up to strangers, babies, and just smelling their heads. It is just the most wonderful
0: smell on the planet, in my opinion. I totally agree with you. Yes. Yeah, I am waiting for grandbabies so I can have one that I can just hold whenever I want to, but well, you know, within reason. But um yeah, I love that too. That's awesome. You're the first one to say that scent. So there you go. Yay. <laughs> I wasn't sure if I would <laughs> you yeah, win. That is awesome. And you mentioned you've lost three daughters and we'll let you go into that however you want to, whatever you're comfortable with, but you lost them in a way that was There is no word to describe it. So why don't you tell us about that? Yes,
1: I lost my daughters, Amara, Sophie and Cecilia in 2012 to domestic violence. They were killed by their father, who I was um, divorced from at the time. It was absolutely devastating um, and unexpected and all of the things that there really are no words for, as you've said. Um, I think we've all heard the line that there's, you know, no word for a mother who's lost a child and definitely no word for a mother who lost all of her children. Mm -hmm. Um, It really changed me on a molecular level, much like becoming a mother changed me.
0: When we talked before, obviously I live in this area, so I heard about it and I was working in the same town. I was working in River Falls at the time and I just, I can't imagine, you know, what that was like for you. But now that I read the book, I do know what it was like for you, um, you know, through that lens. But um, tell us, talk to us a little bit about how how becoming a mother changes you, because I love your take on that.
1: You know, so when I became a mother, I was very young. I um, had just turned 21 um, shortly before Amara was born. And you know, I just remember being in this space of thinking of, you know, I, I was just coming out of my teen years and, you know, those really formative years where you're like trying to figure out who you are. And I think of my like internal self as the statue that I'd been chipping and chiseling away and shaping and polishing. And then I found out I was pregnant and it was like this bomb went off in the very center of that statue and just blew the whole thing away and I had to gather all the pieces back up and put them together in a totally new form. Um, I had this one moment where I think you know it's natural and it's part of the process as a teenager to be very (laughs) self-centered, very self-focused And not really thinking of how you're connected to the rest of the world. And there was this moment where I was pregnant with Amara and she was just moving around inside me and it just struck me like a hammer hitting a bell how connected I was to this, this new soul and how that connection just reached out to my mother and my mother's mother and all these other people and it really brought me into the spider web of life you know where we're all connected and and you just you can feel those vibrations and just that idea that now i was very much responsible for a new person and i also felt like you know when you're younger you feel like you are the star of your your life play and now I had become a supporting cast member to somebody else's, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it does. I think no matter how it happens, whether you're trying for years to have a baby or you just suddenly get a miracle bestowed upon you and you have to roll with it, it changes who you are. And there are so many just physical changes that come with it. Your body is no longer your own. It's been taken over by somebody else, and their needs come first. It it just really is such a transformative experience.
0: Yeah, it really is. And I love how you you were saying that you were shaping and chiseling yourself like a statue, and then the bomb went off. And that's such a great way to describe it. We've talked about how you lost the girls. How did that? What happened after that? I, we talked about earlier that the community rallied around you and that was one of the things that I really noticed and I loved for you, um, that that happened. So can you talk about that a little bit? Oh yeah,
1: for sure. Uh, You know, we moved to River Falls in 2006 and, uh, Amara was in kindergarten and, uh, Sophie was not yet in preschool and Cecilia wasn't born yet when we moved here. And, you know, that's not that long to have been living in a town, but you build community in so many different ways and you get involved and, you know, so I I'm living in this town. I have my, my connections and everything, but it wasn't really home yet. And part of my history is I I moved around a lot. So this idea of home has always been something that moves with you. And here I found myself in this community and my life was kind of falling apart in a certain way because I was, I had just gone through a divorce and that is really hard. Divorce is definitely another difficult process to go through and try to figure out how you're, you know, you had your family set up in a certain way and it just wasn't working. And how do we rebuild family and what does that look like? And I had been in the process of doing that. And, and yeah, this day came where I really thought my life was getting back on track. I had just started dating someone after dating a few other people that didn't work out real well. And, you know, you get real despondent about how, how is this going to work? You know, how am I going to find and build, rebuild a family in the best way? So here I am, I'm a single mom. I've got three daughters that I have hundred percent of the time, just because of how things worked out. Their father was, um, not in the state estranged. And I had finally met somebody that I felt like I was really clicking with and felt really good about and was planning on introducing him to the girls. And, he was supposed to meet them that night. We were going to go to see a concert in the park and have dinner and instead i you know i went to work that day and it all kind of fell apart in the worst possible way so i i woke up that morning with great plans had to start my day off going to the dentist which is not my favorite thing in the world so i tried to get it all over with at once so all three girls came with me and you know, and they love the dentist. They just, they love talking to people. They loved every, you know, just interacting with people. I had a nanny that was helping me out that summer and she had come and and taken the girls home into their various activities. And I left the dentist and I went to work and that was the last time I saw them. I had gotten a call while I was at work that day that they're, father, Aaron was suddenly in town and wanted to see them. I talked it out with him and probably missed a lot of red flags that I should have picked up on, but I didn't. And I talked to the girls and they very much wanted to see him, which I knew they would. And so I made the arrangements, told the nanny that she was more than free to go once he arrived, partially because I didn't want to put her in an awkward situation. And now I know I most likely saved her life by giving her that opportunity to go. And um, yeah, and then he, after she left, he killed them. And then he called me and told me. And while I was, I was leaving the office, I was walking through the parking lot and my phone rang. And I answered and I thought he was just telling me that he had just left, you know, and that I was free to come home. And instead he told me that I could come home now because he had killed the kids. How do you
0: function after that?
1: I honestly don't know other than, you know, and, and there are definitely gaps in my memory Mm -hmm. from around that time. But I remember just thinking that, just hoping he was still the liar I always knew he was, that he was lying to me. But, and that, so my, my first response was to call the police, which I, you know, he never really thought like a parent. So I think he thought I would just come to the house. I was 45 minutes away. I had, I called the police to get them to my house as soon as possible in hopes that He was lying to me and maybe just trying to set me up or torture me, just to torture me with the idea even. And um, so I called the police and the uh, 911 lady stayed on the phone with me for the entire 45-minute drive. And she insisted I come to the police station, which I did. And then it was just you know, uh, trying to get through, trying to process. I remember being in the police station for a while before they told me definitively that the girls had died. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just a complete blur in places. And I try to stay true to that in the book.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I try to really bring the reader to where I was at and what it was like. So that people understand that it's okay when these traumatic things happen, that you can that you're you're not gonna function perfectly. You're gonna have these gaps, you're gonna have these responses that you have no control over. But right from the beginning, you know, you start with the 911 operator who stayed on the line with me. And then the police, who scrambled to try to get somebody close to me to be there to support me, and um, I have no idea how they found her, but they found Sonia, who is um, one of my best friends, and got her there to be there with me because my family is all over the country. And then they they did bring a priest in uh, <laughs> to bring, you know, to have somebody spiritual there. And, and that's really where the, I mean, it started with, you know, our civil servants, our people who are dedicated to um, supporting members of the community in a professional way, but that's just where it started. And then as the the news went out, you know, many different groups kind of came together to help try to support me and honor my girls right from the beginning. And you know, the thing that struck me was how many people, the girls knew that I didn't even know about these relationships, you know, I mean, in the sense of like the, the custodian at their school, how much interaction they had with him and how much it meant to him, um, how, how kind they were. And I remember he came up to me and, and told me stories about the girls and, you know, they had, Girl Scouts, and they had their soccer teammates, and just all these friends and connections everywhere they went that I didn't fully, you know, you're kind of aware of, but you don't realize until they're gone, and then you start to hear, like, oh, they they really did have their own little lives that I was kind of part of, but not, like, the entirety of, Right, and, mm-hmm. and that was just so... Uh, touching. And then the strangers, the people who had never met us, but felt called to come and help us. Um, you know, there were a lot of complications for me. Because, you know, you go back to that, that idea of home, and I had this physical house that was my home that held all my most of, a lot of my memories, all my belongings. And I never got to go back to my home because it was now a crime scene. And even if I would have had the strength to walk in there, I couldn't. So I lost my children and I became homeless all at the same time. And so many people stepped up to help with that.
0: Something that I kind of found really interesting, you talked in the book about how the media couldn't really find you because you kept moving around to different places. And there was someone that let you stay at their house.
1: Um, Yes, in the book. So I had to change a lot of the names mm -hmm. in the book. Some I chose to change, like Aaron. I changed his name in the book, even though that one I didn't have to because everything was public record and I didn't need his permission, um, which is just part of the writing process that is really complicated. But I chose to change his name because, um, you know, a name is powerful and uh, it felt good for me to strip him of his name and give him the name I thought he deserved. So I did change a lot of the other names and and the book and this particular individual who opened his home to us, I renamed um, Sam Ayrton, because if you put it together, it's Samaritan, like the good Samaritan. I love that. Dave is his real name. And Dave, he didn't know us. He didn't know us at all, but he had worked in law enforcement previously before he went to work with his dad in a, a very large tow company. And he just reached out through the victim's advocate to offer my parents and I a place to stay until we could get on our feet so that we weren't staying in hotels perpetually. And that gift was just so amazing. You know, he, he was fortunate to have a very large home that could accommodate three other people, um, with very little disruption to his family life. And it was conveniently way out in the middle of nowhere could nice. find me because I, I was not prepared. I did not want to, go on TV. I mean, we were flooded at the time with invitations to talk shows and things like that. And I just was not in a space where I could share my story in a way that would be helpful to others at that point. And that's really been my goal is to figure out a way that my story can help somebody else who's, who's suffering as well.
0: And I love that message. And there's so many good messages in it. And it's, I think you're so brave for doing this now and coming, What well, at any time it would have been brave, but just to share that message and not, you know, you're not selling your book, you're helping other people. You're trying to bring light into the darkness, basically. I, I remember doing a 5k for the Tri Angels playground in River Falls. And-
1: so, it, so it started with, you know, like the very basic needs being that, like, you know, safety and shelter. And um, people were donating money quite a bit and and that money. um, I think Paul Rohde from Hudson had set up, like just sat in a parking lot (laughs) and people came and donated. And then, um, you know, those funds were used for therapy, a tremendous amount of therapy and shelter and, you know, some of those other basic needs, but then also, There was just such an outpouring of love and people want to help. They want to
0: do something. You've just heard part one of my conversation with Jessica Peterson. Please join us Thursday morning at 7 a.m. when part two of this important conversation is released. See you then.